Hello and welcome to episode 247 of SMARTS, which as we all know stands for... Seeing Masterful Agents Resolution to Series. Ooh. Ooh. Very good. Thank you. I am Rudiger Q. Podcaster, a.k.a. Trevor, and your name is... Julia Gulia. Dash Podcaster. No internet fame today? The internet fame. Yes. Julia Gulia of internet fame <laughs> dash podcaster. This is why you got me off guard. I you're thought no, for some you're reason... You're no longer famous. <laughs> You've fallen from grace. It's true. It's true. <laughs> All right, so we actually have some news this week, and more. <laughs> some of it's more bad news, and then the other of it, other of it is actually good news. I'm actually looking forward to the good news part because you've been taunting me for three or four days about something Apple did. What? Oh no, I wasn't going to talk about that because that's oh. really kind of bad news. Oh well. Plus, we don't talk about tech stuff that much. Yes, we I do. T- we talk about Apple uh, when they have exciting new announcements, not when they've gotten into a antitrust kerfuffle. It's oh, not really our, that's our not purview. Yeah. Um, but we now know what the next uh, DC animated movie is going to be after Superman Man of Tomorrow, which comes out in less than a week now. Okay. It's going to be Batman Soul of the Dragon. Ooh. This is going to be a 70s style martial arts style bat- animated Batman movie uh, featuring Bruce Timm's return to producing. He's not writing or directing. He's producing. Okay. Bruce Timm's return to the character for the first time, I think, since the Batman and Harley Quinn animated movie five or six years ago, whenever that was. Oh, right, yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's going to be like a 70s thing mm-hmm. with all the hair and fashion and everything that entails. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to focus on the sort of martial arts characters in Batman's orbit. So it's going to be Batman, uh, Lady Shiva, Bronze Tiger, and Richard Dragon. Mm-hmm. And the cast is interesting. So um, forgive me if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but David Giantoli, the star oh, yeah. of Grimm, mm-hmm. is going to be voicing Batman. Oh, awesome. Um, Kelly Hugh is going to be voicing Lady Shiva. I'm not sure she's ever voiced her before. I know, obviously, she's voiced Cheshire, mm-hmm. and she played China White on Arrow. Yes. She's a sort of she's gradually voicing all the Asian females in the DC universe, but I'm not sure she's ever played Lady Shiva before. I could be wrong about that. Michael Jai White will be voicing Bronze Tiger, mm-hmm. which I guess is kind of reprising his role from Arrow, yeah. right? So this is looks it's going to be a cool cast, yeah. and it'll be a sort of different sort of style, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. kind of like an Elseworlds sort of thing, right? Yeah. Like what if the Batman stuff was in the set against like sort of a Kung Fu 70s action movie? Yep. Right? So it sounds like fun. Yeah. So that'll be coming out in a few months. I'm looking forward to that. That yeah. sounds great. So we also, this is bizarre. Well, why don't I move on to, well, I don't know, TV stuff. Should I do TV stuff together or, or DC related stuff together? Just DC related stuff okay. together, yeah. So you may or may not recall, I think this was like a couple of years ago, we talked about a new new project that had been announced from... Um, writer, Academy Award-winning writer of uh, 12 Years a Slave, John Ridley, mm-hmm. was going to be writing a miniseries for DC called The Other History of the DC Universe, which was going to focus on like the um, the sort of overlooked history of DC's minority characters mm-hmm. as opposed to like when you do the history of the DC right, Universe. Yeah. It's like, okay, here's when Superman debuted. Here's yep. when the Justice League debuted. Yep. He's going to focus on the minority characters that don't get as much of a focus in, these, in the grand sweep of history, mm-hmm. right? We didn't hear about it for a couple of years, but now it's finally coming out. So it's been solicited for November. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been doing interviews about it. We know the characters it's going to focus on, or at least some of them. From Unless he's only mentioning some, it sounds like it's going to be four books. And it'll focus on, seemingly in this order, Jefferson Pierce, mm-hmm. Mal Duncan, Renee Montoya, and Anissa Pierce. Oh, cool. So kind of bookending it in mm-hmm. that way. So he says you've got, you know, Black Lightning with all of the sort of and presumably they're going to be set around the time that those characters 
debuted or so the black lightning story will presumably take place in like the 70s and 80s and so you'll have that era of you know civil rights and the black exploitation stuff that was going on and you know the the inner city violence and so on that he was sort of created in in the climate of right and then you get to but you got some of like maybe the early beginnings of sort of his family life and so on like that and then you get mal duncan the thing that that Ridley said interests him about him is that he was a Teen Titan and everything, but now he's more known for like, well, he he married Bumblebee, right? And mm-hmm. then they have a child. Mm-hmm. So sort of segueing into sort of the older family life of a character like that. And then you get Renee, Renee Montoya and what interests him about her is not only her Latin background, but also the fact that, you know, she came out as gay and then that mm-hmm. whole thing, as well as the idea of like policing in from a modern perspective is sort of going through a bit of a mm-hmm. societal shift in how we view that. And then ending with Anissa Pierce, book ending it with the Pierces, but also someone who is, you know, sort of the culmination of all those individual stories. So mm-hmm. you get the family angle, you have the female angle, you have the gay angle, and you have the black, forgive me for being somewhat reductive in all of these things, but mm-hmm. it's sort of like taking some of the issues that all the previous three characters face and sort of summing it all up with one character right. in a modern context mm-hmm. is kind of what Anissa would give him. So those are the sort of the four stories he's going to tell, you know? Cool. And very, it's not going to be cool. a traditional s- storytelling style. It's mm-hmm. going to be much like, I, I know you haven't read it, but the history of the DC Universe was a series of uh, books that came out right after Crisis on Infinite Earths. And they were it was written by Marv Wolfman and with spot illustrations by George Perez. So the okay. same, same team that did Crisis on Infinite Earths. But it was like prose descriptions with when you say spot, when I say spot illustrations, are you familiar with that term? So you'd have no. like prose like picking up most of the page and then yeah. there'd be like inset, like a magazine article. Oh, yeah. where it's mostly text, but there's like you. an inset picture with squ- the text wrapped around it, you yes. know? Um, it's going to be sort of mostly of that style, uh-huh. you know? Much like History of the DC Universe was, this is sort of meant to be the flip side of that. So it's going to be mostly prose with spot illustrations and maybe some sort of serial not mm-hmm. sure what to call it maybe some sort of word balloon style storytelling in there but mostly that right so it'll be a very different style of presentation very different reading experience but it's meant to be sort of the the opposite of the flip side of mm-hmm. that other series that came out now probably 35 years ago whenever right. that was mm-hmm. um so i'm looking forward to that it sounds like an interesting i can't interesting wait project. i love all those those characters and it's nice That's so great. in star wars news this is bizarre so of course, you're familiar with the infamous Star Wars holiday special, yes. right? Which came out yes. in whenever that was, Life 78, 79, whatever, yeah. right? Exactly. So the premise of that was Han and Luke and Leia were all, or I guess mostly just Han, but Luke and Leia were in there at the end. Anyway, they were trying to get Chewbacca home for Life Day, right? right. And fight, you know, fighting the Empire along the way. And in between, there were like little skits and musical numbers yeah. and weird digressions, right? Harvey Corman was in there for a while, right? Um, and it's infamous, you know, George yes. Lucas you know, renounced this, like, let's pretend it doesn't exist. It's never been officially released in any sort of home media, never re-aired, you know, it only exists in bootlegs. Um, John Favreau has been joking that he would like to do a modern Star Wars holiday special. Treat it a bit more seriously, but still have it be fun and tongue-in-cheek kind of thing. Right, okay. So there was an announcement this past week about something which is not really that, but it's probably the closest we're going to get to that. It's a Star Wars Lego holiday special. So you know they've been doing Star Wars Lego <laughs> stuff. Yeah. The Freemaker Adventures. Yes. There's been a, there's a ton of Star Wars Lego video games. It's sort of its own side franchise, right? Uh-huh. Um, this is going to be a Star Wars Lego 45-minute special debuting on Disney Plus in November, but it's going to be a holiday special. Mm-hmm. The The 
preview image shows Poe and like so it it takes place. It's, what's interesting is that it takes place after Rise of Skywalker. So oh, this is okay. the first time we're going to see what characters like Ray and Finn and Poe are up to after the ending of Episode Nine. Oh wow! Now much like the other Lego stuff, it's probably not strictly canon. Sure. But I I like the way that the Star Wars Explained guys talk about it, which is that the Lego stuff, it's not canon, literally. But imagine it is like a goofy send up or or adaptation of things that actually did happen in the Star Wars universe. Okay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, so this is probably going to be depicting events that you can imagine these events probably kind of happened, but not in the way you're you're seeing them. Poet isn't actually going to wear a ridiculous looking Christmas sweater in the actual Star Wars universe, right, yeah. but in this version of you know this kid's right. version of it, yeah. you know yeah. he is. Um, And what's interesting is that much like the Star Wars holidays, the original Star Wars holiday special, and we don't have specifics on exactly who, but apparently at least some of the original cast, which is to say, you know, Daisy Ridley, John Boyega, Oscar Isaac, at least some of those actors will be reprising their roles for this. Mm -hmm. We don't know who. I would say Oscar Isaac is probably a lock because he's done the voice work before. I'm not sure if the others have. What's interesting about this is it's sort of a modern version of that same story. It's going to be those characters trying to get Chewbacca home for Life Day again. That's hilarious. And at the same time, they encounter these weird phenomena that show them glimpses and flashes of other times in Star Wars history. Oh, okay. So we might get to see characters like Luke and Leia and Han. And again, maybe Mark Hamill might reprise his role for that, for example. Right. And, you know, so it's their way of sort of having little digressions and side stories in the way the original one did, Mm -hmm. but a bit more interesting and less bizarre you know yeah instead of having chewy's grandpa watch weird holographic pornography for for 10 minutes <laughs> we'll get a little digression showing you know oh here's what luke did for life day on octo by himself 10 years ago or some weird little story like right. that right so this sounds like a lot of fun 45 minutes so it's not like a big time investment right and it's gonna it's lego stuff so you know you're not gonna be inclined right. to treat it too seriously but it sounds like a fun little thing it's the kind of thing that and the the idea that you know that the 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 continuity nerds are going to be all over it because they're kind of going to feel, well, this is after episode nine. So what can we right. what can we glean can from we... this about what is actually happening as opposed to what's being depicted in this kidified version of it, right? Right. Um, so it'll be interesting for that reason too. But mm-hmm. I think this is this is fun. Yeah, I agree. That I wonder. I don't awesome. know if John Favreau is involved in any way because his he's been saying for years about how we'd like to do another holiday special. I don't know if he's like producing this or something. Mm-hmm. Probably not. But this is probably the closest we're going to get for a while about something like. You know, super along the cute. lines of something like that. Yeah, super funny. That's a great idea. So the other little bit of news this week is just following up from the thing we talked about last week about the DC layoffs. Mm-hmm. There's been a little bit of clarification. So Jim Lee did a pretty lengthy interview with, I think it was The Hollywood Reporter, where he basically, he's, he's, he's basically whoever was conducting the interview just ran down the list of the rumors that have been swirling about oh, this gosh. and had him address them one by one, which is pretty much exactly what you want. Yeah. This interview is basically like a PR move to staunch mm-hmm. the bleeding basically right to put out a lot of these pr fires right. they're like jim get out there yeah. address all these rumors sit, you know stay on the call for as long as you need to until mm-hmm. you've answered all these person's questions right yeah so they're like you know they're starting with the and the literally the title like the lead of the the internet the lead i suppose the actual title of the article was like you know dc publisher lee says we're still in the business of publishing comic books like because that was the whole rumor that like dc was literally not going to publish comics anymore this yeah, is what things that's crazy. how far things had escalated wow. to in, in the fan speculation right so it's like no we're definitely gonna be so we're definitely gonna be still publishing comics you know we've got new stuff coming out new initiatives we just talked about the other history of the dc universe which yep. is like an interesting sort of more artsy thing than they mm-hmm. normally do so mm-hmm. they're still going to be taking some chances but 
you know, he need to talk for a while about a lot of different things. But for our purposes, I would say the main takeaways are he said he estimates about a 25% reduction in their publishing output in the near future. Yeah. Obviously, it, it could continue. You could continue to see more cuts or it could rebound from that, right? If yeah. things, if sales, you know, are strong. Um, I'll hit the main points and then we can sort of address each one. Uh, he confirmed what we've been speculating about for it seems like years now, which is that original series will transition from being on DC Universe to HBO Max. Makes sense. That's Warner's big omnibus streaming service. They've already got stuff on there. They've already, you know, ordered DC-related originals like Green Lantern and Strange Adventures and things like Harley Quinn and Doom Patrol have already started Right. are already on HBO Max also. like they, Doom Patrol was probably the test case for this because it premiered on HBO Max and DC Universe simultaneously. Right. Um, the only things that are on DC Universe now that have not found other homes, mm-hmm. which is to say Stargirl and Swamp Thing are on the CW, right? Swamp Thing has not been renewed, but remember we talked about how they're re-airing Swamp Thing as a way of filling time until right. after COVID. Stargirl has been airing simultaneously on the CW and it'll be the exclusive home for season two onwards. Doom Patrol and Harley Quinn, like I said, are already on HBO Max. It's just Titans and Young Justice, which have both been confirmed for new seasons, but we're assuming now that those seasons will debut on HBO Max. And DC Universe, according to Lee, will continue, but with the originals removed, I would have to imagine that also the back catalog video stuff will be removed Mm -hmm. and DC Universe will just be Comics, shopping, community, stuff like that, right? Right. Which, you know, I mean, Marvel Unlimited, which is Marvel's very successful Netflix for comics thing, is just comics, and it's very successful. So there's no reason why DC Universe couldn't continue in this form. Um, And there's, you know, he addressed some of the the staffing. You know, obviously a lot of longtime editors have been let go. He confirmed that he is still publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw an article that the the new interim with the possibility of being made permanent editors-in-chief are two uh, female editors who mm-hmm. sort of are relatively young. One of them was the the editor of some of DC's more young younger readers imprint recently. Mm-hmm. So the new editors-in-chief of DC Comics are both women and both relatively young and sort mm-hmm. of come from the more modern progressive side of things as far as like the chances they can take and the different things that DC can publish. So that's probably good in the long run. Mm-hmm. I like Jim Lee, but he's like a 50-something-year-old man, you know, so it doesn't hurt to get a little bit of fresh blood in there. A lot of the editors that would let go, a lot of them were really great editors, but they were pretty much all older men. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them had been at DC and then before that, Marvel, like in the instance of Bob Harris, had been at DC since you know, for a long time under Dan DiDio. And then before that, he was at Marvel for a very long time. You know, he's been an editor or editor-in-chief of various comics companies for 20, 30 years, you know. So mm-hmm. not to say that it's a good thing that a lot of people were let go, but, you know, but this might, one of the potential upside of this might be, you know, getting some new blood into higher positions within mm-hmm. the company, which is good. Um, so, yeah, I think that, you know, the the DC Universe HBO Max thing, what is there really to say? We've been speculating about that for a long time. It makes sense. Yep. The reduction in their publishing output is unfortunate for someone who enjoys to one, you know, to varying degrees, but more or less enjoys everything they put out. We're going to see 25% less of it, which is bad. I think that this is another instance of, and we've talked about this before, but sort of the cyclicality of comic book publishing where there's a period of experimenta- experimentation and expansion and there's sort of a period of conservation and retraction. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see um, 
doubling down on the marquee characters, the ones that have movies coming out, the ones that have TV shows that are currently on the air, the ones that are just classics, mm -hmm. you know, the ones that have endured for 60, 70, 80 years, and fewer things like, you know, just throw out names like Silencer or mm -hmm. what's some really, or like, I mean, Strange Adventures is an off-the-wall one we're reading right now, but that's sort of like an auteur book by Tom King. I think we'll continue to see things like that when they're driven by strong creators. Right. But we won't see a lot of, like, new characters or minor characters, like something like maybe like Freedom Fighters, right, mm -hmm. where that's an established brand that's been around for 80 years practically, but those are fairly niche, obscure characters to everyone but the diehard DC fans. The odds of us seeing a 12-issue Freedom Fighters miniseries in mm -hmm. the next year or two or, or a project of that niche appeal – um, I think are, are a lot slimmer now than they were a few weeks ago. I think mm -hmm. we're going to see more Batman stuff, more Superman stuff, more Wonder Woman stuff, more Justice League related stuff in general, more Harley Quinn stuff. Books, and it's not to say we're not going to get books on like, you know, more quote unquote obscure characters like Stargirl and, and the Justice Society. I mean, the Justice Society, as much as the fans love them, are pretty obscure to a modern audience. But, you know... They're on Stargirl right now, which is a hit show. By all reports, the Black Adam movie is going to introduce some Justice Society characters into the movie universe. So they could be hot, you know, mm -hmm. soon. So we could see a new Justice Society book. I mean, it's going to be, there's going to be this, the same creators that we love are going to continue to do stuff for DC. So we're going to continue to get new stories. I just think new good stories. It's just we're going to get fewer of them. And they will probably focus on a more concentrated core of marketable characters mm -hmm. instead of... You know, what's one like Metal Men? Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're not going to get a 12 issue Metal Men miniseries like we're getting right now again anytime soon because nobody cares about the Metal Men except for like five people. And most of them, like Dan DiDio, the only reason there was a 12 issue Metal Men miniseries is because Dan DiDio greenlit it and is, was writing it himself when he still ran the company, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> that's why that series exists. So you're not going to get stuff like that for a while. So, not to say you're not, I mean, there's been all sorts of rumors like, oh, is Black Label going away? I don't know. that He didn't confirm or deny that um, that I noticed. But I have to think that there's always going to be a room for more exper experimental. I mean, we talked about Tom King. I mean, again, it's Tom King. That's, that's star power, right? Like right. that can buy you a lot. But Tom King's got a 12-issue Rorschach series coming out this fall. Yeah. You know, after all of this hullabaloo is – after all the dust is cleared, that's still happening. And Rorschach – is, is he a niche character? I mean, everybody knows Watchmen, but a 12-issue Rorschach series is not as marketable as a 12-issue Batman series by Tom King. You know what I mean? And I guess he's doing that too because he's still got his Batman and Catwoman series coming out. Um, but that's an example of like mm -hmm. a darker adult series that's creator-driven because they have a passion for it. And I think there's still going to be series like that. It's just that there'll be fewer series about minor characters from not superstar creators. Yep. It's probably the long and short of it. So it's unfortunate. Obviously, it's too bad that a lot of people lost their jobs. Um, but this might be one of those things that five years from now, you might say, oh, well, it's, it was maybe it was better in the long run because it brought a lot of new blood into the company. It for, focused them, forced them to sort of focus, mm -hmm. focused them, forced them maybe to double down on digital distribution and new ways of distributing their stories to, to younger audience or non-existing comic book fans. Right. You know? By which I mean people that aren't already comic book fans, mm -hmm. not comic book fans that don't actually exist because right. it would yeah, be hard, hard to sell comics to people that, that don't exist in the corporeal world. Right. Um, we tried. So, it didn't work. You know, so we might see more experiments like the digital first or the Walmart stuff or, you right. know, Injustice Year Zero or Batman the Adventures Continue or Harley Quinn, Black and White and Red, which are some of our favorite things we're reading right now, mm -hmm. right? And those are all, you know, 
yeah. continuations of a cartoon that was canceled 20 years ago. Right. Or a thing, a video game tie-in that was un- that was surprisingly popular. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. these are not... The Harley Quinn stuff sells itself because, you know, anything with Harley Quinn on it is seemingly going to sell. But, um, yeah, I, I think so. I think... And we're seeing, even in the solicitations that came out this past week, a lot of series were canceled. Yeah. Hawkman, Teen Titans, Young Justice. Mm-hmm. Like, even Bendis isn't immune from this. Um, what else? Oh, um... Do, 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 do. Oh, the the help the current Hellblazer series yeah. was canceled. Yeah, wow. So a lot of stuff that was seemingly just starting. Oh, uh, Tom Taylor's new uh, Suicide Squad miniseries canceled already. Wow. Um, in some cases, they said that these aren't cancellations so much as um, these were always intended to be finite, and mm-hmm. the characters will continue in some other venue. So you know, a lot of people are already big fans of the Revolutionaries, the characters that Tom Taylor introduced in his new Suicide Squad run, like Wink and Aerie and so on. And he said. When news came down that the number nine was going to be the last issue, he said, don't worry. This was the plan from the beginning. There's already stuff that I'm working on with those characters, so their stories will continue, you know? Great. So stuff is canceled all the time, right? Like we're, right, yeah. We, this week we got Harley Quinn number 75, which is the final issue, but nobody's under illusions that there's not going to be another Harley Quinn ongoing series in, yeah. in the next few months. It's just yeah. sometimes you cancel it, you give the character a rest for a few months, even if they're already very, very popular. Sometimes you just want to position a new creative team to, to launch on a new number one because you think that's going to get you a better sales bump. These are all yeah. marketing decisions, you know, largely. So not to say we're not going to see those characters anymore, but it really, you know, it feels like a lot of those books are, are might come back soon. There's always going to be a Teen Titans book at DC, you know. You're going to go a year at most without something that says Teen Titans on it because that's one of those books that you could list. Maybe you could count on two hands a number of books that DC has has never gone very long without publishing. Yeah. And they're, you know, the main Justice League characters and things like Teen Titans and to a certain degree Legion of Superheroes, although there's been some pretty big gaps in there, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Those series have always been published by DC since they were created for 60, 70, 80 years. There's, you know, not a year or two has gone by where there hasn't been something with that name on it. Right. Contrast something like Freedom Fighters or even Justice Society. So... There's always those series are always going to come back in some form or another, but maybe it'll be in a short form digital first series instead right. of a monthly three dollar, four dollar periodical. Yep. Yep. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. We'll see. There's a lot, lot of change. Change is probably going to happen in the next year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of too bad, also, obviously, that it had to coincide with a lot of people losing their jobs. So I think we're going to see some. Yeah, during a pandemic. I think we're going to see the public. I think yeah. we're going to see the the focus of the line become more conservative in some ways, but I think we're also going to see the nature of the line in terms of the publishing initiatives, be a bit more experimental, mm-hmm. like I say, with different venues, different digital initiatives, mm-hmm. things like mm-hmm. that. Um, so we'll see. It's, you know, maybe we live in interesting times, right? Like this yeah. is, you know, this is not something that Marvel is is having to go through because they're, you know, they've got the movies propping everything up. And DC has had hit movies over the past few years too, but not on that scale. So mm-hmm. that level of success in the movies buys you a lot of, goodwill Wiggle, you know like yeah. D- disney is willing to let the co- you know even though the comics don't make a fraction of the money that the movies does the people that run disney are smart enough to know that the comics you can treat them i've heard this analogy thrown around a lot it's like an intellectual property farm you know mm-hmm. the comics don't make a lot of money but they generate new characters and concepts that can then later be adapted into movies that make a billion dollars right like yeah. relatively recent characters like miles morales ms marvel mm-hmm. um I'm trying to think of who else is getting. I'm trying to think of other series that are relevant. Oh, I mean, the, the Kate Bishop version of Hawkeye is going to be one of the stars of the Hawkeye mm-hmm. Disney Plus series. Um, things like that. Uh, 
Carol Danvers becoming Captain Marvel, relatively recent changes like that. Um, these are all things that the, the comics introduced just in the past five or ten years that are now stand to make Disney billions of dollars when they adapt them to TV or movies. Right. So that's one. That's the main purpose that the comics can serve is generating new characters and concepts that can become more marketable in other venues. So hopefully AOL or Time Warner or whoever, whatever you call the company these days, is smart enough to recognize that the same is true of DC, that Disney recognizes about Marvel. And mm -hmm. they don't say, oh, you know, so long as we can make movies and TV shows about Batman, we don't need to publish the comics anymore. That might work for a while, but eventually you run out of stories to adapt and you run out of new characters to introduce and you just have to keep rebooting and telling the same origin stories or the same Batman versus Joker stories over and over again, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like this weekend, there's the DC Fandom event and one of the things they're going to announce, all the rumors indicate that the big new Batman video game is going to be based on the Court of Owls story. And that's oh, a story that's only five or six years old. Right. And that story has already generated multiple best-selling comic book series as well as an animated movie, mm -hmm. as well as a whole season of Gotham. Yeah, like, I was about to say. That's something that was introduced just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Not to mention like Flash villains. We've talked about this before. Flash villains that Joshua Williamson introduced in the past couple of years that have already appeared anchoring entire seasons of the Flash TV show. Mm -hmm. Like these shows and movies can't continue for very long without new con Like you say, new well, ideas, there's yeah. 80 years of stuff to mine from the comics. You couldn't possibly run out of ideas. That's true to a certain extent. But how much are you going to mine Flash villains from the 40s and 50s? You right. know, Superman villains up until the 50s and 60s were mostly just fat guys in suits. Yeah. Like there's a limited amount of stuff you can do with that unless you're going to do period stories. You need, you know, you need, oh, you know, Doomsday or you need maybe Mongol. Mo Mo well, Mongol goes goes back pretty far. Then again, Doomsday at this point is a 25-year-old character too. But who knows, like Rogal Zar or mm -hmm. Zal or whatever. I can't even, I can never remember his name. But the guy that destroyed Krypton now, you know, he might be tapped right. to be the big villain for Man of Steel 2 or whatever. Who knows, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you never know where these characters are going to pop up and you need fresh new ideas you know right. john john kent was introduced relatively recently yep and now he's appeared in multiple animated things mm -hmm. and he's going to be one of the lead characters on the superman and lois series yeah. he's going to be their son john right along yep. with whatever whoever their other son is going to be connor no he's got some other name they're not using the connor i think oh, okay. they figured that that would have expect the audience expectations of who that character would be i right. think the john kent character is probably going to be similar to the comics but they want this other character to be a bit, you don't know what to expect from them. Like maybe there's going to be a bit more of a bad boy. I don't know what they're going to do. Um, anyway, so we've talked about it a lot. We should probably move on. But I don't know. There's a lot of. Hopefully they. Hopefully this isn't the kind of thing where, you know, because they the current leadership if they axe DC Comics or whatever, then obviously <laughs> that's that's you know it's a company that's existed in one form or another for almost a century. And it would seem like just because there might be the company might be going through lean times now because of COVID and everything. Talk about short-sighted thinking if that's if that's the case, right? Because I right. feel like the other the other media could sustain sustain the IP for a while, maybe as much as like 10, 20 years, but then it would just die out. Right. And the characters would become like the Green Hornet or the Phantom or the Lone Ranger, where they're characters that everybody kind of sort of remembers and your parents or grandparents might have been fans of them but there's not really new stories being made about them anymore now they're mostly consigned to history and maybe every so often someone does like a movie reboot of the green hornet or the lone ranger or something but it kind of comes and goes and nobody really mm -hmm. remembers it you know what i mean like there was that who was it like not josh gad who was it the seth rogan or something did oh. the green hornet yeah right and yeah. then um johnny depp was in the the 
Lone Ranger movie. Do you even remember that that was a thing? I don't even remember that. He, wow. he was Tonto in the the Lone Ranger reboot. Oh, who, it was yeah, like Ar- was Army terrible. Hammer or something like that. Was was the Lone Ranger? I mean, these things come and go because oh, that's a name that people remember. The Lone right. Ranger, the fandom. People can't, but no, kids today don't remember that, right? Which right. is why those movies that your parents or grandparents might remember, or The Shadow, right? Uh-huh. Characters that existed for only a little longer than the superheroes we're talking about, but haven't had consistently new stories about them in decades. Right. And they're just, they're never going to be popular again because Mm -hmm. it's just been too long. Those characters weren't continuously refreshed and updated. Their mythologies weren't added to. Mm -hmm. And now you tell a story about the Lone Ranger, it has to be a period piece. You tell a story about the Shadow, it has to be a period piece. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? The Green Mm -hmm. Hornet. Maybe you could do that nowadays, but you know what I mean? It's just because that's, oh, well, of course that has to take place in the past. That's when that character existed. Whereas you think about Superman, it's, it's the oddity when they do a Superman or a Batman story that takes place when those characters were created right they almost always take place now because those characters have been continuously updated yeah and tweaked you know mm-hmm. and new things have been added and things that don't make any sense anymore have been taken away or superseded and that's how the, the stuff stays fresh and vibrant and you need that so hopefully i'm you know people are worrying over nothing certainly um I, it's not like DC is going to go away tomorrow. I just I hope that this is a thing where you know a few years from now you're like, oh yeah, that was that weird blip where mm-hmm. stuff seemed like it was going away and go away, and then it came back stronger than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, people these companies go through hard times. I mean, Marvel filed for bankruptcy in the '90s. You know, they almost sold off all of their stuff. Right, that was wow. when they sold off the movie rights to the most popular characters like Spider-Man, X-Men, and Fantastic Four mm-hmm. to various companies that they're only now getting the rights back to decades later. Yeah, because they just needed that quick cash infusion to stay alive like otherwise right. they would have gone out of business they, they literally filed for bankruptcy yeah um and that's not going to happen to marvel or dc now because they're owned by much bigger companies like disney you know warner right. media these companies aren't going anywhere probably not for hundreds of years um but the downside of being a relatively small part of a much bigger company is that they might be deemed expendable or mm-hmm. they're not generating enough money. They're, they're profitable. It's not like DC is losing money, but it's making very little money compared to a lot of Warner's other endeavors like the movies or TV shows or video games or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe somebody – all it takes is one guy yeah. to come in and say, oh, we're going to get rid of that, and then it's gone, right? And maybe the next guy can bring it back, but after a certain period of time, you can't bring it back. That infrastructure is gone, right? The offices are gone. The yeah. the institutional memory is gone. And it's, you know, a few years past, and it's almost impossible to bring that back. Yeah. You know? So, I don't know. This is, hopefully, this is just, you know – Yeah. People are, are overreacting, and, and Jim Lee did a good job quelling those those fears to a certain – to the extent that he could. But we'll, we'll have to wait and see, but that's – Right. You know, yep. That's that's the worst case scenario, and I, we're nowhere near that yet. But hopefully that that won't actually happen. Yeah. Anyway. Agreed. So, what was your comic of the week? Oh, uh, I chose Hawkman number forty nine. Twenty six. Twenty six. Very close. Um, off by a few digits. Who cares? Um, so this is the issue that wraps up the story of basically all the things that ever were to Hawkman and Hawk, um, Hawkwoman. Or Hawk Girl? No, Hawkwoman. Good. Well, and Hawk Girl too, but she's not here. But yes, it does pertain to her, but she's not she's right. not in the story. Yep. So long story super short, um, they are last time they were trapped on the planet or in the dimension where the 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 Deathbringers um, 
God was there, the person who Katar Hall had been sacrificing people or did sacrifice people that that um, generated the debt that he owed to the universe. But because he and Hawkwoman saved the um, that dimension, saved all the people there, and then also saved by dint of that, saved the universe from collapsing in on itself. Um, his debt was suddenly repaid because he he saved countless like beyond trillions beyond gazillions he saved an entire universe um and so his debt was repaid and he was able to um die and be at peace and his uh reincarnation cycle was stopped but so was um shira's right shira yes in her present Life, right, yes. in her present life, Shaira. She was the one person that had faith that he could do it. And so she was restored to her previous post as a guardian of some kind, a guardian angel or something. Um, and so, but that means that they would have been separated and they didn't want to do that. They wanted to live one more life together and then blip into obscurity or wherever it is that mere humans go. And they they chose that as their reward because they would rather be together than be separated for eternity. So that's awesome. And that was a very thrilling read and the art was really wonderful. And then they got blipped back to the JSA. And that last panel was pretty awesome. Um, I think you got a lot more out of that panel than I did because you love the JSA and you know all these characters so much, but even I enjoyed Wildcat with his feet up on the other chair. That was great. It was so, it's like, it was very much Wildcat. Anyway, it was. it's going to be interesting to see what happens next, and now they're probably going to be kicking around with the JSA for a little while. So that's where the loop ended, and it's kind of thrilling to imagine that this iteration of Hawkman and Hawkwoman are it. They, they're, they will not, if they die, that's it, real stakes, like no no coming back, you know? Um, so that's, and not only that, if but like If you die in the comic, you die in real life. Oh, dear. Um, and cathartically, I mean, it's kind of interesting to see that the debt was repaid and what that must mean to cater. So that'll be interesting to see as well. That was a very good read. That's why I chose it for my comic of the week. How about you? What'd you pick? So I picked the the Flash number seven fifty nine, um, which I really enjoyed because you know I'm a sucker for when classic characters return. And in this issue, we got Max Mercury and Jesse Quick back in their classic pre Flashpoint forms, and Barry remembers them, and everybody's happy. Hmm. There's a lot of great moments with um, with Impulse that refer to his history and and all of that and and his interactions with some of the other characters he meets wallace and avery for the first time he has a great reunion reunion with his grandmother um jay shows up at the end to protect them all so this is the first time um you know we've seen various things like um the whole thing with perpetua and now doomsday clock where or or the the hawkman story you just mentioned where you've seen jay like in the past or Mm -hmm. something like that but this is the first time we're going to see him interact with the rest of the flash family again in the present in eight years, nine years, yeah, yeah. something like that. Um, and it's been that long since we've seen Max Mercury and Jesse Quick, too. Um, or seen Impulse interact with the others, for that matter, although he's been back for a little bit in Young Justice and everything. Um, and so, you know, I'm really enjoying this. It's part one of the six-part finish line storyline, which is Joshua Williamson's big finale to his 100-issue Flash run. Um, and it promises to be really exciting. 
I really like this issue too. I um, the, my two favorite parts of this one were the fact that Eobard um, Thawne was running around actually tr- in Barry Allen's skin trying to be a better version of the Flash. Like he always wanted to be the Flash. Now he gets his heart's desire and he wants to do it better than Barry ever could. But he also wants to be loved like a hero. He wants, he liked the fact that he had a clean slate, that people believed that he was not just the Flash, but also Barry Allen. Like he liked being... <sighs> Being that identity and adopting that but he, identity, he couldn't for a keep while, it up he for, couldn't... for five minutes around people that actually know Barry Allen because he's such a massive dick. So he hangs out with Bart for like five minutes, and Bart is Bart instantly like, him. "No, yep. that's not him. That's not him." <laughs> he yep. massive gives him his boot to the face with his massive cartoon feet. Yeah, it's awesome. That was beautiful. That was the second thing that I was gonna say. Is that the the second thing that I really loved was how impulse. Yeah, I was he waiting to, to see that. He seemed to be crushed by Cause, that. Yeah, because he, he put him down and he had the panel where he's like sad. Like sad. sad you know, like, you know, Bruce Banner mm-hmm, walking away mm-hmm. in the rain down the street kind of thing. Like you hear the piano yeah, tinkling yeah. in the background. It's like, oh. Um, but I'm like, uh, Bart, uh, this is the, so like, okay, Williamson, how, what kind of impulse writer are you? Because if you're, if you're going to acknowledge all the stuff that he went through before Flashpoint, like mm-hmm. when he was super, when he was Kid Flash and then he was, when he was aged up and he was the Flash for a while and then mm-hmm. he was Kid Flash again. It's like he's impulse again now, which is like his more kiddie role. But if you're going to acknowledge that, that he went through, that all that stuff is back and he remembers all that, he should not be so gullible because mm-hmm. he, he was, he was all, he, by the end at least, he was way smarter, way smarter and way more canny than that. And he would not be so easily fooled and indeed he was not so that's know? great yeah so I, I was glad that they had that in there because otherwise it would have been like okay this is impulse but he's like this is we're back to like basic impulse he's not you know right. it should not an, an impulse that had gone through jeff everything. john's teen titans run and jeff john's flash run and everything should not should not be so easily taken in by this charlatan so yeah i was glad that they they I, I was happy that. too. I like it when a character knows another character well enough to see through their ruse and rather in a timely n- manner instead of some protracted, dramatic, you know, drama milking, you know, storyline that kind of isn't earned. Plus so the I enjoyed other that. characters like Iris picked up on it immediately because like Thon has tried this exact, as they right. reference, has tried this exact same thing at least once or twice before. Right. Where he assumed Barry's identity and tried to fool everybody. So it's like, oh, is Barry acting weird? It's probably Thon in his body again. Right. You know what I mean? Like this is how yeah. well, third time this week. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it was really good. Should drum up some sort of an anti-possession spell or something. Yeah. So for our pop quiz, in Ooh. honor of that, I thought we would rank the flashes. Oh. Not really quiz so much as an activity, I suppose. Okay. Uh, we're running a little long, so we won't spend a ton of time on this. But the four titular flashes, which is to say the four people that have headlined a... And who are they again? Well, I'm going to go. I'm going <laughs> to list them. Yeah, I'm sure you could list at least three of them right now, but there were four. Um, the four people that have headlined on an ongoing basis a, a title called The Flash, you know, Jay Garrick, Barry Allen, Wally West, and Bart Allen. Okay. You want so, me to rank them? Well, unless you want me to go first, but sure, you can go first. You go, you, you go first. I, I need to remember their names first. Well, you remember the names of all Jay those characters. Jay Garrick, Barry Allen, right. Wally, and... Yes, and Bart. Bart. Okay. Because there was a brief period of time, about a year, where he was aged up and he was the Flash, but then nobody liked that, and so they killed him off and de-aged him again, and Wally came back. <laughs> that was right after Infinite Crisis. Okay. Um, so, well, you know what I'm going to say. Who's my favorite Flash? Wally. Right. Wally is number one. Mark, <laughs> Mark Wade, Jeff Johns, Grant Morrison, right? The three of my favorite writers of all time all wrote fantastic Wally stories, and that was went right when I got into comics, so he's always going to be my guy. Wally's number one. Um, 
comic Wally. You know, I like cartoon, you know, Michael Rosenbaum cartoon Wally, the yeah. sort of goofier character. You know, TV show Wally is good too. He's really more Wallace than Wally. He's kind of like a combination of the two yeah. Wallys, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, it's, it's comic book Wally with all, all the stuff that he went through, you know, inheriting the mantle from Barry, mm-hmm. maturing so that he actually deserved that mantle, mm-hmm. meeting Linda, marrying her, having kids, losing all of that, getting it back, you know, in, in recent stories. It's that whole arc that I, and you know, being one of the pillars of the JLA for so long, before, you know, first looking looking down on Kyle Rayner as who's this guy who's Green Lantern all of a sudden, then becoming yeah. like best pals with him. I love all that stuff. His him being the head of the Flash family. That's one thing that they this minor digression that about this current Flash storyline that's interesting is that Wally's not there because he's off being Doctor Manhattan or whatever, and off you know right. setting up Death Metal. Right. Um, the Flash family was always Wally's thing. Barry was the only speedster, and so occasionally he would team up with Jay when they'd have the Earth-1, Earth-2 crossovers, but he was the only guy. It was only when Wally was the Flash that they reintroduced Max Mercury and Johnny Quick, and then mm. Jesse Quick, and they brought Bart back from the future, and Excess, and mm-hmm. you know, then mm-hmm. Wally had his kids. Wally was always the guy that was the head of the Flash family. Barry was long dead by that point. Barry mm. never had a Flash family around him. So... That's that's one thing that's interesting about this current arc is this this sort the family is coalescing around Barry again to get Barry back, but Wally's not there, and that's something that Williamson is keenly aware of, and that's why that's going to be something that is like oh without Wally here it's kind of like the heart is missing in the Flash family, and that's why the capper to his arc is going to be this death metal tie-in speed metal where it's Wally, Bay, Barry, and Jay together again because it has to be you know them at the end of the run because you have to have Wally for it to be the Flash family. But that's one of the things that I love about Wally too is that he was sort of the patriarch of this whole family of speedsters, some of which were senior to him and that he looked up to as mentors mm-hmm. like Jay and Max Mercury, but he was the heart of it all. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I mm-hmm. also love that aspect. Um, number two, who do you think my number two is going to be? I'm curious. Barry. Well, I, I, that would be the logical thing. I think I actually, this is probably heresy, I think I like Jay more than Barry as a character. I like certain versions of Barry a lot. I like I like comic Barry. He's a good mm-hmm. character. Obviously, you know, Grant Gustin on the TV show is fantastic. Yeah. That version of Barry is kind of like a combination of Barry and Wally, mm-hmm. you know, because he's younger, he's, mm-hmm. he's jokier. We've talked about that before, yeah. yeah. And then whenever they adapt Barry to other versions, like the Ezra Miller version, it's, again, it's the younger, jokier version, right? Yeah, like, yeah. it's it's kind of the Barry-Wally mix. The character of Barry from the comics was always very straight-laced, mm-hmm. very serious, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, that was his that was his thing. He was the cop, the scientist. Mm-hmm. He wasn't mm-hmm. the jokey kid guy, right? So I like the Barry character from the comics, but I, I don't, I never really loved him. I like some of the other versions of Barry. I like the Grant, I really like the Grant Gustin version, but... But I, I always really love Jay because Jay's such a such a great character, you know, the veteran, the father figure, all the you know, being all the stuff that he went through in World War II and all like that, like his relationships to the other JSA members, his relationships to Bard and the younger members, mentoring them. I always just really liked his attitude. Like he and Alan Scott are are sort of an interesting as like the two the two sort of grand poobahs of those legacies. You've yeah. got other people like Wildcat and so on, but they didn't they never really had their a whole like a whole legacy or a family around them. Yeah, you had right. his kid and Yolanda and so on for Wildcat, but like Alan and Jay were the patriarchs of these whole families and you look at them and like, oh, they're probably pretty similar, right? Like they're like crusty old guys, but they're, they're really different, really interesting mm-hmm. ways. Jay was always warmer. They like Jeff Johns would write these great little Jay moments into a story. Like every time he would save someone, he would always tip his hat to them he would always be moving too fast for them to see it but he would always do it anyway because he's a gentleman mm-hmm. right like all little 
lovely little bits like that, like uh, that really make you love the character. And then the you know whole like I showed you these pages a while ago where they he revealed that oh like he and his wife couldn't have kids. They adopted this this baby, but then it was it died like a couple of weeks later. Like so like he's had all these little tragedies in his life, but he's still you know eighty years later he's still running with a smile. Right? Mm-hmm. How many other characters, flashes even have been. You know, it happens to Barry every other week in the comics and on the TV shows. He's hit by some some tragedy or another, and he pushes everybody away. Yeah, and he yeah. goes. Jay never does that. Jay always handles it all like a trooper with a smile, right? Because it's just that was his the greatest generation. Like, oh, life hands you bad stuff. You just push push through it. You know what I mm-hmm. mean? I always really loved that character. So I think he'd have to be a number two. And then Barry's number three. I, I, I love the Barry Allen, Allen character, but he was never my guy. And growing up with Wally, when they brought Barry back, you kind of – Kind of like the Kyle thing when they brought Hal back, you you kind of feel like a little like, eh, do we have to? Because you know that your guy is going to get less screen time. You know it, right? And it right. obviously happened. How much do we see about Barry now versus Wally? Right? It's exponentially more right. Barry than Wally, and right. I knew that was going to happen, and it happened. So you always kind of resent him a little bit for that. Bart, I love. I actually probably like Bart more than Barry, probably a little bit, but. As a Flash, and I know you never read any of his Flash stuff because there was just like that one year where Bart was the Flash and it was years before you read comics, but those stories were not good. Mark Guggenheim, who now actually is the Grand Poobah of the CW shows, came in at the end of Bart's Flash run and actually made it good for a few issues and was the one writing the issue where he died, and that was a great issue. I, that actually made me, that issue actually made me cry, the issue where he died. Um, but because they cut to all the other people mm-hmm. who knew him and loved mm-hmm. him, like they cut to the Teen Titans and Tim and Cassie were like crying and they cut to Jay finding out and Jay like goes over to like oh, all the other speedsters that died and you get this thing and like all these scenes were wordless and Jay's like, oh, why am I the one? I was the first and yet I'm mm-hmm. always the one that survives and all these kids, mm-hmm. you know, Wally was gone by that point. He came back when Barry was still dead. Now Bart, people like Johnny Quick had died. Mm-hmm. He's like, why all these people that follow after me die and I'm the one that survives, you know, mm-hmm. all these great little scenes of people. And then all the people of Central City or Keystone, I forget which one Bart defended. Mm-hmm. It was it's always both. Which one was like his place? Like Wally's was Wally was Keystone and Barry was Central. I forget which one Bart lived in. But all the all the citizens came to the Flash Museum. They had like a candlelight vigil for him. Mm-hmm. It was a great issue. That story, that one issue aside, his run was not really very good. So as a Flash, that was a failed experiment. And I'm glad they brought Wally back after that. Um, so he'd have to be as a Flash, my my number four. So it would have to go Wally. J. Barry Bart, probably. <laughs> Can I guess what your order is going to be yes. since you kind of guessed mine? I think that you like Wally a lot, but I think a lot of it is probably just because of how much I like him. Mm-hmm. I think if only because of the TV show, Barry is going to have to be your number one. And then I think probably Wally. I think it's. I think a lot of your stuff is just order of familiarity, which is yes, which is you know a logical way to go about it. When, when you're equally familiar with, like, every character <laughs> that DC has ever published, then you can be a little choosier. But you're still a relative newcomer. And so, you know, the number of good stories that you've read with a character in it is probably going to be your main metric. So I bet you're going to go Barry, Wally. I'm not sure about Bart or Jay because you've only read a few stories. I mean, Bart was in the Young Justice cartoon. So you're familiar with him a lot from that and the recent Young Justice comics. Jay is more of a new thing for you. But... I think you I think you like him, so I'm not sure what you're gonna go. I guess I'd probably say Barry, Wally, Bart, Jay would be my guess. That's a really good guess. Um I actually had trouble too, but I was gonna put Jay above 
Bart? Uh, Bart, because I've never seen Bart. I've seen Bart. I guess as the Flash was the, the reason Flash. why. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's yeah, he that would kind of it. be almost a non. But yeah, you guessed it, and and the reasons too. I mean, the the TV show was my introduction to Barry Allen, and I that's the TV the Barry show Allen was kind of your, the the shows, not not that the show. The shows in general were also your introduction comics. to Wally too, right? Because the the Justice League, Michael Rosenbaum, Wally, yes, was your first was probably well. That was my first Flash. Yeah, yeah you had seen the Grant Gustin version before that one, right? Because um, you had yes. seen, when we yep. met, you had seen the backdoor pilot. Yep. The mm-hmm. Arrow episode. Yep. Flash hadn't started yet. One of the first, no, we didn't, one of the first things we watched together was not the Justice, because we watched it in order at that point. We had to go through all of Batman, all we of did. Superman, and all of Batman Beyond. We did we do that, yeah. So yeah, you saw the Grant Gustin version, then the cartoon version of Wally. Mm-hmm. Um, which is sort of like a, I don't want to say dumbed down, but it was like a very, a more immature, early version of Wally. Yeah. And then the comics. But don't for forget Young later, Justice. So. Young Justice Wally was amazing. Yeah, Young Justice Wally was one of the best. That's true. I always forget. Like, I always over, like, in my mind, the cartoons are just the Bruce Tim stuff, right? Oh, okay, yeah. Like, I I, I forget that Young Justice exists sometimes because yeah. it's it's a, an anomaly in so many ways. Oh, but it was but, yeah. so good. Yeah, the Wally, the version, and the version of Bart on there was great. The version of Barry was great. Jay yeah. only appeared a couple of times, but he was great. Jay, yeah, Jay was awesome. Um, Jay in every iteration that he's I've always seen awesome. him in. Yeah, I know. He's, Barry's that's sometimes what I was boring. Say. He's Wally's awesome. sometimes too jokey. Bart can be irritating or whatever sometimes, he but Jay, Jay is always Jay. You know what yeah, I mean? Like yeah. whether it's um, no matter whether what. it's John Wesley Ship, yep. right, or mm-hmm. it's the comics, or it's the Young Justice version, or whatever. Jay is always just a solid. Jay is always Jay. Awesome like there's only one way person. to write. There's no, you know, there's always only one way to write. That. I feel like writers, no matter what generation they're from, the Justice Society characters are usually written well. You know, like sometimes mm-hmm. they're done, not shown the proper respect by editorial or whatever. But I feel like everybody. All the writers, assuming they're fans to begin with, are show them deference because they were the first and because they fought in World War II. And I realize they're fictional characters. They didn't actually fight in World War II. But right. like you don't come in and you, you don't write Jay as like some idiot, right? Like, you, you know what I mean? The fans right. would crucify you. Or a you meanie. The, the, the fa- you know yeah. what I mean? Because the fans deify the Justice Society. Even the ones that really don't care about them or don't don't really think they deserve their own title or, sh- or best consigned to history, still respect the fact that they were the first super team, right? Right. So it's, it's, you don't really, you never really see Jay re- being written badly. He's either not there at all yep. for years, yep. which is unfortunately something yep. that happens, or he's there and he's written pretty well. So yeah. So it would be Barry, then Wally, then Jay, then Bart. So same as mine, That's except right. with Barry. And, uh, no, I put Jay ahead of Barry, didn't I? You wow. put yeah, Jay ahead of Barry, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay, yeah, so should fun. we move on to our shows? Yes. So we have the season fina- the series finale of Agents series, of Shield, yeah. and we have uh, Star Trek Lower Decks. So you mm-hmm. want to talk about Lower Decks first? Let's do Lower Decks and then pay homage yeah. to the amazingness that is Agents. Of so Shield. this was a fun episode. This was I, I like this one more than the first one. Although, like I said, I feel like if we went back and watched the first one again, I might enjoy it more because it was just so different and so jarring to watch that first episode. Yeah. That because it was so unlike anything we'd seen from Star Trek before, and the trailers and stuff kind of prepare you, but. It was so different, whereas I feel like maybe, but I feel like this one was just generally better. It wasn't trying to do as many things. It had a bit of a, a, a better pace. It had like an A story and a B story, you know, mm-hmm. um, and they were both interesting. Mm-hmm. The, the one with the Klingon, the stu- all the stuff with like chasing around the, the inebriated Klingon ambassador on the Hilarious. planet. The thing with like all the like, the, oh, here's little Risa, here's little Andoria, here's yeah, yeah. little Kronos, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
Nintendo stuff with Rutherford on the ship where it's like a little bit unrealistic that he would be bouncing around potentially to so many different divisions. Like, oh, just pass this test and you're in security. He's like, really? There's no additional training or like forms you got to fill out or something? Well, he was undergoing the training. Well, he was undergoing the training, but I mean, you still get to well, have but, little but jobs. A, but to- massive Bajoran warfare was like, oh, you beat these holographic Borg? Welcome to the team. Like that was it, right? He was in the bear pack or whatever yeah, the guy called it, right? Like that <laughs> was, was I didn't great. get the feeling that was step By one of a six-month <laughs> training process. Um, so that, you know, defies a little bit of belief. But but again, that was really fun. And I and I love, like, it's totally Star Trek about how all everybody was just so encouraging, right? Like, oh, yes. you want to you switch divisions? That's fantastic. I'm sure you'll do great, right? Like, yeah. the only person who was not fully on board with it was the doctor. But that's just because she was he was scaring the crap out of one of her patients, right? right? Yeah. Like, that was having actual bad effects on, on one of her yeah. patients. So that was the only I love how, how very two-dimensional the patient themselves were. Like, no, what? I'm going to do this. Like, immediately jumping to the worst possible conclusions based on the tiniest, tiniest little... Um, you know, word. Right. And then I, I like how at it's the hilarious. end, I like how at the end, you've got the Ferengi that comes out and he's all like, season one, T- season yes. one TNG. Remember when they had the laser whips and they were hissing and yeah, like yeah. crawling so, on rocks yeah. and stuff? And yeah. like, what is this? But it's like, oh, he was, he was hearkening back to that, but it was just an act, right? He's actually like super. Yeah, super, super chill super, and normal. But not just chill. Like he acts like a normal guy. Like yeah. he's an, he's an Armin Shimmerman. Oh, well, Armin Shimmerman actually did play a Ferengi in that first Ferengi episode. So you can't just say an Armin Shimmerman Ferengi. He <laughs> Which was, one? He, yeah. was a, he was a DS9 era Ferengi, not a yep. season one TNG era Ferengi. After yes. they sort of rehabilitated, after, after the DS9 writers, Ira Stephen Bear predominantly sort of rehabilitated them. Yeah. Um, Oh, yeah, and, amazing. And, but a lot of fun little canon references in there, like the Rise of Place had the the fertility idol yes. and the idea of Jamaharon, where you, some, mm-hmm. like some weird sexual thing that you can invite. Um, like like I said, the Ferengi thing, the 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 Klingon guys, like all oh, the Klingon names are all like they all have all these apostrophes in there. Um, the Borg holographic training program. Yeah, like a lot, of little, a lot of little fun things The Kittimer Records. Yeah, I'm pretty sure this is in violation of the Kittimer Records. Yeah, all that stuff was fun. And again, like, the it's it's all, it all seems like these things that could, it's kind of like the the what we talked about with the Lego, Lego holiday special. Mm-hmm. Like, how that stuff is not, like, even, it's kind of canon, but kind of like, this. this is canon. But it's like, you could see this being like an exaggerated cartoon version of things that really happened in Star Trek. Yes. It's a little different because these are literally supposed to be things that are happening in Star Trek. Whereas right. the Lego Star Wars stuff is like one step removed. Or at least that's how a lot of people look at it. Yeah. But it kind of probably helps to look at it the same way. Like, because there's exaggerated cartoony physics things happening here, which wouldn't happen in real life. Yeah. Right. But it's like, imagine this as being... A cartoon, an animated version, like a slightly exaggerated animated version of things that actually happened, you right, know, in the yeah. Star Trek universe, and maybe it becomes. I don't have any trouble viewing it as like literally this is what's happening, but the, I imagine there's a contingent of fans out there who are still a little put off by how different it is, right? Tonally and yep. pacing wise and everything, um, that might maybe would benefit from viewing it through that lens. But yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. And the next episode is like called Temporal Edict or something. I really want to see what this show can do with like a t- maybe like a time loop episode or some weird temporal paradox or something like that. It seems mm-hmm. like there's a lot of humor. Like even if you just run down the list of like, what was ep- episode one was like weird, weird disease on the ship. Yep. Right. Yep. Number two, was uh, episode two was like diplomatic mission yep. gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, if but you just run down the list of other like some maybe some um some mechanical question about the sentience of some mechanical race or mm-hmm. something um time loop 
time loop time loops are like or time travel right yeah like you there's time loops yeah i would argue those are two separate star trek tropes right yes, there's a time are. loop there's one time and loop. then there's the one where everybody has to go back to the 50s or something like that right, right? like every series does something like that eventually. well that's a visiting that's visiting a parallel um right but that's world. city it, on the edge of forever or the yes. deep space nine episode with the homeless city or next gen mm-hmm. where they go back to mark twain or voyager where they go back to california in the 90s or name a bunch of other ex- yeah. or enterprise where they go back to 2000 new york and space fight with, whales yeah or, or right or voyage home mm-hmm. or first contact right or mm-hmm. right um so i feel like there's got to be something like that and then there's the there's the um omnipotent being like there's, there's the yes. space the, like the giant cloud of space gas or the omnipotent being like we talked about how q could appear that's one way they could do it they kind of poke fun at that a little bit in the in the cold open here oh see that was the energy being it's kind of like that that. energy being is another trope right yeah um that's what i was gonna say is that they they covered that one in this the energy being the yeah but that could be a whole episode the idea of it could be but it wasn't (laughs) possession is another thing right like where some crew members are possessed by an alien force and they're conspiring against the rest of the crew that's something that happens a lot too right well, yeah, but they had possession in the first one when those they were, were all blamed. That was more like, yeah. I would say that's more like a, the crew con- contracts an alien disease. Like okay. the one in Voyager where they all had the little insects coming oh, out of their necks. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about more like the episode where um, where Troy and O'Brien and Data are possessed by people on that planet and they hold everybody oh, in 10 right. forward at gunpoint, right? Right, right, right. Um, things like that, you know, or, or Kirk is possessed by his dark, you know, he's split into two people or... Mirror universe. Oh, think of mirror other, universe. Yeah, they've got to do a Mirror Universe Ooh. episode too, don't they? That's definitely one. Bless you. Right, or work Keiko, you. the DS9 episode where Keiko was possessed by one of the Paw Wraiths. That's right. I'm trying to think. There's a bunch of ones where people are possessed, right? Um, the mystery episode is one, right? Like, we've got to solve this, right? Yes. Like, like clues on TNG or something like that. Um, yeah, there's there's all sorts of... Tra- sent, sent to the future, like, there's got to be a thing where everybody meets their descendants, probably. That's a thing Ooh. that happens a lot, right? Enterprise did that one. Voyager did that one. Oh, kind yeah, of. they did, didn't, um, didn't they? On the planet, yeah. Yeah, so I feel like there's, yeah, or the crew is copied in some way. Oh, yes. Right? That's something that happens a lot. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of things. So, I mean, it's 10-episode season, so they're only going to get to some of it. But, yeah, there's obviously a lot of possibilities. So, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., mm. this is the big finale. I enjoyed this a lot. I wouldn't say that I enjoyed it as much as, you know, maybe Arrow's finale or even, like, say, Stargirl's season finale or Doom Patrol's season finale. I probably, I think I enjoyed those more. This was very good. Um but a lot of it to me was like, with the exception of the very ending, you mm-hmm, know, like mm-hmm. the one year later thing and the very beginning where they had to, where, where Fitz was back and they had to jump back to their original timeline. The whole thing where they're just sort of fighting the Chronicoms yeah. and, and uh, Malik for out of the 90 minutes, about 70 of those minutes felt like it could have been any other from any other episode from the past few seasons, you know, like it felt more epic because you knew it was the conclusion and because right. big things were happening, the right. ships were blowing right. up and people right. were dying. But I kind of like it when the last episode, like Arrow did it, TNG did it. Like the last episode of a series should feel, it shouldn't just feel like another season finale, but bigger with yeah. a, with an epilogue at the end. To me, a really great season finale should feel different than the rest of the show. It should be set apart in some way. You know what I mean? Right. Um, TNG is the perfect example where it's like, oh, well, let's see. Let's see the characters, where they came from, where they are now, and where they might go, right? right? And bookend the whole thing with Q going all the way back to the pilot, right? Yeah. That's a perfect season finale or series finale. You know, 
MASH, it's going to go to one of the canonical great series finales of all time. MASH wasn't just another episode where they're treating more patients. It was the end of the war. The war was ending. Where's everybody going to go? They're going home. You know what I mean? Like that right. was that felt different than every other episode. This felt mostly like it could have been a season finale. You know, with the right. exception of the last few minutes, you could buy this as a season finale where there's going to be another season. It would have worked equally well as that, right? It, right. D- it didn't really seem it didn't seem series finale y enough for me. Mm-hmm. That was that was sort of my qualm with it. It was it was very well executed, and they did a good job of they you know did not Fitz and cut Simmons, corners and with got, all the special effects. Yeah, the only thing I would say oh, that Fitz wow. and Simmons got their happy ending. They were yes. reunited. They discovered we discovered they had a kid. Mm-hmm. That was that was beautifully done. The way we flash back to the same shots that we'd already seen, but now they, they could last a little longer, and we see the kid was there the, reveals, the whole time. Yeah, all that stuff. It was very 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 well executed, very well written, very well directed. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Jed Whedon wrote it, and Kevin Tankerone. Brother to Melissa Tankerone, the other mm-hmm. showrunner, um, and an excellent director in his own right, directed it. So mm-hmm. it was totally like a family affair. Yeah, um, that's great. And yeah, no, it was very well done. I like the endings that all the characters got. You know, Daisy and Sousa get together. She redeems her sister, and they go off into space yep. together. Yeah. I didn't really care whether that sister lived or died. She was pretty annoying to me. She always I walked around with that got, smug expression yeah, on her face. True. like. I she's think just that's like just a bad seed, directed. right? Like, yeah, it's just she, like, she's going through some You always get the feeling that she was, a, she was going to go bad at some point because people don't turn bad that all of a sudden. Like, she was all, she always was a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a, I wish had she a bit had of a mean her, streak, oh, a bit of a power complex, probably. I wish she had her own awakening in her own right. That's, I, I, I feel bad that that's how her character was written. She, like, weak willed. She's, she's still, she's still trusting and being manipulated I it was, so obviously manipulated I thought it was believable by the guy enough that killed her well, mother she was, she was raised yeah. in a secluded place you know but still, she had this, i mean she feels like she's just succumbing was, to the cult I, I thought that believable i th- found it believable that she would be easily manipulated but i'm not i don't really enjoy watching characters that are that easily manipulated so yeah, it's not exactly. that i found it unbelievable it just was not especially her character is not especially enjoyable to me right right um the susa stuff was great you know they oh, she, he great. and daisy end up together that's great i like i like where all the characters ended up mac basically becomes nick fury he's, <laughs> yep, he's, he's been yep. the head of shield for a few years but he gets the black trench coat and a helicarrier so he's nice. fully nick fury now all yeah. he needs is to lose an eye to a space cat oh dear um it's not a cat. It's a flurkin. It's a flurkin. It's a flurkin. Yeah, yeah, I know. Fitz and Simmons get their happy ending. They retire. They've got a. They've yes. got a kid. You know, Daisy and Susa go off into space. Um, who am I missing? May teaches. Yeah, that's sort of a good. That's a good ending. All these and endings. Flint is okay. Well, all these endings make sense, right? Because yeah. May's whole thing was about reengaging with the world and opening up, and this season made it literal because she was literally feeling other people's emotions. Right, and so, she and the way she saved she saved the universe. It wasn't Phil Coulson that right. hooked up to the machine. The subversion of expectations that was great because we thought that the machine would hook up to the machine. And, well, like, everybody do helped. I mean, Daisy but also needed to blow up the whole ship, so that was she a pretty big piece of the, the puzzle too. Yes, that was important, but also. Um, did you think they were going to kill her off? I thought they I thought might. they were going to kill her I off cuz her show might. the show has kind of been her arc and having her sacrifice herself at the end would it's a little unbelievable that that explosion didn't kill her instantly and they were able to find her and all that debris and bring her in and warm yeah. her back up. Yeah. I mean I'm fine with it but it's like I mean Cora saved her so you know. Yeah, but all she did was just warm her up. Like that was not I, I don't she didn't think imbue that's... her with life energy or something like that like she would have had to have been alive for that to work the yeah, idea that she would have survived true. that explosion and the the vacuum of space for however long well it, took it was some magic her. was infused in yeah. there or whatever i don't know but um obviously it's all a little unbelievable <laughs> a little but it um, makes sense that may would going back to what we were saying it makes sense that may would get like more of a giving back touchy-feely yeah, kind but of job all the chromacons are friendly now 
Because they're empaths. Well, the ones that survived on Earth, yeah. Yeah. Well, they're not empaths. They were given empathy, right? Right. They well, were exposed. Y- yes, they yes. were They were given. They basically became more human, right? Right. Yes. Which is basically all that happened. And being given that empathy, they now recognize that what they were doing was wrong. Yeah. So there's now like a couple dozen chronicoms walking around on Earth, I guess, which is fine. Um, yeah, welcome. And, and Coulson <laughs> is just, you know, he decided not to shut himself down for now. He's going to go out there and explore the world some more. He gets his flying car back. Yeah. You know, that was a nice ending. And that's, you know, that's the, that makes sense as the last shot of the show because that's the way the pilot ended was him and Sky in the seat, like them flying off in the car to go yeah. have their adventures, right? Yeah. So that's a nice way of ending it. Um, yeah, all that, all that was nice. And the idea that they met, they would meet in that bar because they had the set, they had the standing set already. That they would meet on that bar, but like via holograph Zoom, basically. Yeah, that was great. Uh, once a year. Yeah. Yeah, and the reason why they weren't, they would never be all together in the same room again, isn't because they all died or mm-hmm. something like that. It's just life happens, and people right, exactly. you know move on to other things, and it becomes harder to reconnect. And you know, that's just I like all that. That's fine. It's just the whole alien fighting plot I enjoyed, but to me, it didn't feel conclusiony enough. It felt like right. the it could have been any of the other massive alien battles they've had on this show. Right, That's exactly. my only qualm. Yeah. But it was very, very well done, and I thought it was it was a good ending. It's just, to me, it, it doesn't live up to, like, the all-time great series finales. It's not up there with, like, MASH or TNG or other things I haven't seen that people will say are the best endings of all time, like The Sopranos or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's not, it's, even amongst the shows that we watch, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it up there with, you know, some of the Star Trek series finales or something like Arrow, which had a fantastic I thoroughly enjoyed like it just because it ticked all the boxes for me in terms of like, okay, all my favorites survived. I think my favorite Deke moment was... <laughs> yeah, that was all great, yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite. Um, I love that he just called it because we knew that Sousa wasn't going to part ways from there. And not only that, but, but Deke was my audience identification character in that moment because I'm like, oh, in my head, I was doing a big old raspberry and then to have him do one was just fantastically perfect for that moment. I also think, I feel like maybe part of it is I feel like they did miss an opportunity and maybe some of it was budgetary, but I feel like, or or availability of the actors, but I feel like they really did miss a chance to have, to show a bunch of the characters and actors that we've come to know over the past seven years one last time in the same way that Arrow did or the same way that... that Right, we didn't see Ward, we didn't see Lincoln, we didn't see... Going back to to TNG, right? Like, that's what TNG did. You flash back to the encounter at Farpoint time, and Tasha Yar was there, and Miles O'Brien was there again in his red uniform. You know what I mean? Like, and Q came back for the final one, because you know what I mean? Like... Right, right, right. You, I see you, what you mean. You have to, you know, that's one of the ways in which you can... You, you take s- a victory lap before you close show. Well, you, you, but you, you, you... You sum it all up, you know, mm-hmm. like you, you try to make the episode a microcosm of the whole show. Like here's here's as much as as much of what you loved over seven years in one episode as you can possibly get. And that's, yeah. that's what TNG did. Um, and this was just like mostly a standard episode, but with some finale stuff at the end. If they if they taken the opportunity, it wouldn't have even needed to be in this episode. Right. But somewhere over the course of the season, like what I thought they were going to do, especially early on when you got Sousa and stuff is, oh, Every couple of episodes, they're going to jump to a new period, and we'll see another classic character. And they did do some of it, right? We got Susa, we got Jaying. Yes. You know, mm-hmm. we got younger versions of some characters, like um, Bill Paxton's character, whose name I can't oh. remember, where they had his son play him, and we had younger Malik, and so on. Like, like they did do some of that, right? But I would have liked more of that. I would have liked to have seen Peggy Carter one more time, or like Ward, or Lincoln, or mm-hmm. right. Or maybe yeah. Nick Fury pops up one last time, or like stuff, stuff like. Well, he was in multiple sure. episodes. Just, just it was really early on, and right. then he never appeared again. Right? right, right, yeah. 
So I would have liked to have seen stuff like that. And, and we didn't get as much of that. And I feel like that's, that's such a gimme in a final season. And when you have a time travel premise and alternate timelines and stuff built yeah. into the premise of your season, it's right there. Like it would not have been hard. Yep. And I can't imagine that most of those actors wouldn't have jumped at the chance to show up for a little cameo. I know, right? I know. Even if it's just a thing, like I remember of, of all the things, and this was not a great finale, but the final episode of House, I think you dropped off watching House, but the final episode, um, they had a thing where he was hallucinating at the end and mm-hmm. they had a bunch of characters who had been on the show before, some of which had died, like appear mm-hmm. to him as hallucinations and talk to him. Like that's, you can, you can write it in any one of a million ways that people just want to see those characters or those actors one more time. It doesn't yeah. have to be a major part of the story. It doesn't have to make... They don't, you don't have to write the whole episode around them. They can just show up yep. for a little flashback yeah. or a cameo or a dream or something. Heck, they did that for the 100th episode where they brought a bunch of characters back. Like mm-hmm. they brought Deathlock back and mm-hmm. a few other characters like that. Just And they were like... They were manifestations of that like... Was that like some black ball of energy or something that was infesting the lighthouse and giving birth to people's fears? You remember that thing when they were all seeing Vaguely. things? That was the 100th episode. Oh, and they yeah. used it as an opportunity to bring back a bunch of older characters yeah that's right and they didn't really do that here which right. i feel like it was a bit of a missed opportunity i mean you don't want to make the whole season just like cameo fest in the way that arguably say arrow season eight was yeah but you kind of do at the same time right like <laughs> i keep using the analogy of a victory lap which arrow season eight definitely was um but yeah do that i mean like it, the final season of a show like this especially it's one that's like struggled to find an audience and you know there's a question pretty much every year would it be renewed yeah it has such a hardcore fan audience like the final season of, and the finale especially of a show like this should be like a love letter to the fans. Mm-hmm. You know, it should be all the stuff you loved about the show one more time. It doesn't yeah. have to be a, a, a an epic story. It doesn't have to be like the greatest story ever written. It can be like all good things in T. And I keep mentioning all good things in TNG because it's probably my favorite ser- series finale of all time. But it was not like the most thought provoking Star Trek episode. It was a simple like a, a time travel story where Picard's in the three times and Q mm-hmm. is teasing. It's just an excuse to see these characters in different, you know, see yeah. Tashi Yar and Miles O'Brien one more time on the Enterprise mm-hmm. to see our Worf and Troy going to end up together because mm-hmm. that was a thing mm-hmm. in the last few episodes mm-hmm. of TNG or see future, the future characters where, where Riker has gray hair and the Enterprise is a third in a cell for some reason and Data has emotions and that, streak in his hair yeah. and wharfs a grizzled Klingon ambassador and Crusher and Picard got married but then divorced and she's a captain like it's just fun to see it's fun that's what the fans yeah. want they yeah. want to see that sort of like that that fan ficky kind of fan yeah. fodder stuff yeah um and to see Q one more time and to see the everybody sitting around the poker table you know what I mean like that's the sort of fan payoff that they the fans want and you kind of got the payoff here with them all sitting around at the end and seeing what happened to them but I feel like it didn't it didn't really hit that same button for yeah. me. Hmm. Yeah. But I still really enjoyed I, it. It's I just it's not it. going to be in like my Hall of Fame final episodes. No, I do feel, I, I do see what you mean. And it felt like it had uh, several multiple endings. And for me, I love the conversation at the end, but it still felt a little bit um, just like not enough if i could say that that's that's boiling it down it was for me. maybe even too much of a happy ending like maybe one or two of the characters should have died Ooh, you know like maybe no i don't think so maybe daisy maybe unhappy. if daisy if they hadn't i mean daisy is maybe like my well i really like colson too daisy and colson are maybe like my two favorite characters on the show but if, if she had gone out there mm-hmm. and then colson had shut himself off at the end or or if the two of them had gone out together or something like that i don't know like i feel like having a having a main character die in the final episode 
is, is a bit of a cliche in and of itself, but it kind of lends the whole thing a sense of finality and gravitas, right? If everybody survives and everybody's happy and everybody gets their happy ending, it feels too too slight in some way. You know, mm. like it doesn't carry as much weight. And well, I mean, they left Deke behind, didn't they? Yeah, but he got to live out his dream existence, right? Like yeah. that's a happy ending for him too. He's probably happier without all the, I mean. I like how he, he turned he liked around having and they the said, are you, around, so are you the guy in charge now? And he goes, yes. Which, yeah, he gets to be such a he gets to moment. be the head of Shield and yeah, you know I saw it, like they were interviewing the showrunners and like, well, what's Deke doing over there? Oh, you know, it's he's selling out Madison Square Garden while at yeah. the same time yeah, using it as a cover for running Shield. Basically, is what yeah. he's doing. It's like, yeah, that would be his dream, right? So yeah. that's you know everybody basically got their happy ending. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> that kind of makes it feel a little too too easy. <laughs> I'm you know okay I mean? with that. I'm okay with that. That's great. But I mean, everybody got a happy ending in TNG also. But I mean, the other classic. To me, like the the probably the best two series finales are TNG and Mash, and Mash had a cost, right? Like, yeah. Not, and have you seen the final episode of Mash? No. Well, I don't want to spoil it too much, but I mean, characters were changed by stuff that happened in that episode. Like, cool. there were characters that were never the same after that, and they got to go home, but they were never the same again. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. Even putting aside everything that they'd experienced over the eleven seasons or whatever it was before that. Yeah. Um, okay, I have to see that. You so, have to well, you kind of have to watch a lot of MASH for it to, I, for it to watched, really land for you. No, but. I watched a lot of MASH. I think that would land for me. I just so there were characters that. that got happy. Everybody kind of got, like nobody died in the final episode of MASH, but some characters got happier endings than others, and some of them had to settle for something that wasn't what they wanted, and others got to go home, but... You know, they're never going to be the same again. And, and you know, mm-hmm. it's it, like that's that's kind of what you want. You want a range of outcomes. Mm-hmm. You don't want everybody to be happy or everybody to die. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So I don't know. I would have I could have used a bit more variation in there, I guess, is another aspect of it. But mm-hmm. I still again, I, I'm like, I sound like I'm coming I down really it. hard on it. I, re- I did really like it. It just it didn't like. It didn't make it didn't get me very emotional. Like I wasn't I wasn't crying at the, like I was getting like a little verklempt when I thought they had killed Daisy, but then five seconds later she was fine. They didn't even make you think they didn't even go a, a while making you think she was dead. There was like, oh immediately, oh she's fine. Right. You know, right, so that, right. that like why even bother with the fake out at that point, you know what I mean? Um so yeah, I mean that's sort of my for me, like it's all about. I can I can excuse storytelling, you know, if there's a thing that if there's a, if there's problems with the story or like whatever or the budget or whatever i can excuse all that if a, if a story affects me emotionally you know yeah, yeah. and i didn't find myself getting very emotional over the course of this finale and that's kind of like my main yardstick i guess like you watch tng and you cry at the scene where picard comes in and sits down at the poker table for the first time and he looks around at his his friends and says i should have done this a long time yeah. ago right and the camera pulls back up through the yeah for the through the through the bulkhead saucer or whatever, section yeah. that goes flying off or at the end of MASH when everybody goes home or whatever. Or, any, or you know, in, in Arrow when everybody's there at Oliver's funeral, mm-hmm. right? And then you have, you know, like you, you, cry at, you cry at those moments. In a good season finale, I feel like you should get emotional. It shouldn't be just like a series of checkboxes where you're like, okay, we need, to, we need to kill all the aliens. We need to find out what happened to all these characters. We need to, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, like there mm-hmm. there's, should be more. And I'm sure the people that were like, the, this is like their favorite show and they're so invested in Fitz and Simmons getting, getting yeah. together. With, I'm sure they probably cried when they saw that they had a kid and got their happy ending and so on. But yeah. But to me, it's like I didn't, I didn't feel that same emotional peak from it that I, that I wanted to. Yeah, so my, that, my favorite was Fitz and Simmons' ending. That was, that was so nice for, for them. Yeah, they those earned prob- it and they those earned it and my, then some. Those are probably my favorite parts because we hadn't seen Fitz in so long. That the scenes with him trying to yeah. get Simmons to remember him and then the reveal that they had a daughter, those, those were like yeah. – those are the most interesting scenes because that yeah. was new stuff. It wasn't just like, oh, we're fighting the aliens again. You know? Right, yeah. So, yeah. That was, but that's, those are my thoughts. Yeah. I, I, I – I'm good. 
Uh, do you have anything nope, else? That's yep, it. Okay. So yeah, get out there and watch that stuff because it's it's pretty darn good. Uh, if you have anything else to add, we have an email address: mailbag at smartspodcast.com. Our Twitter handle is at smartspodcast. On Facebook, it's facebook.com/smartspodcast, and um, our website is www.smartspodcast.com. How about a funny sound for us? I don't have one. How about for the last time? Ding 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 ding. Very good. <laughs>